And there's things that we're going to go through. We're all going to go through trauma. And we're given a toolbox to get through it. And of gifts that, mm. that are particularly ours, uniquely ours, and they help us through it. And I believe that when you heal your traumas, whatever they are, that the transforming of them, the renewal of yourself will give you your purpose. And that coal and that dirty, horrible stuff that you went through will be alchemized into gold. Hi friends, and welcome to the Naked Soul Podcast. My name is Caleb, and I'm your host. If you know anything about me or my story, then you probably know that after walking away from the NFL, I went on an inner healing journey where I spent years in therapy, getting close to my pain so that I could begin to heal and set myself free from the emotional trauma that was keeping me stuck and absolutely miserable in life. This season of healing undoubtedly changed everything for me, and I know that I'm not alone. People all over the world are beginning to understand the importance of healing your emotional trauma, and as a result, people are experiencing new levels of freedom and a greater measure of inner peace than ever before. And that's why I'm so excited for this episode. I had the chance to sit down with my good friend and trauma coach, Sarah Baldwin, where we had the chance to talk more about trauma and how it affects you especially in the area of learning how to receive love in your life. We went on and talked about the role it plays when it comes to having boundaries and needs in our relationships. She also went on to explain how trauma is stored in our body, and she gives us some amazing examples of different grounding tools that we can implement in our lives when we're triggered. Lastly, Sarah gave a beautiful explanation on how healing your trauma is directly correlated to finding your purpose in life. Sarah is a good friend of mine, and I love her for so many different reasons, but what I love most about her is that she actually cares. She cares for people. She's one of those people that when you get around her, you can't help but to feel better about yourself. I've never met someone that carries more compassion and empathy for other people like she does. This podcast and our time together bless me in so many different ways, and I hope that it blesses you just as much. And, and that's what it really is. Yeah, receive. But man, it's so tough. It's been a really hard journey for me to receive. To receive? Me, yeah. I didn't, I didn't receive in childhood. So, What I does receiving look like to you now? Um, it looks like allowing someone to nourish me, which means being vulnerable. So I believe... Just counting can... on other people. Mm, no, more than that. So... In order to really receive on a soul level and really a cellular level in terms of our nervous system, we have to require ourselves to be exposed, Mm. which means be vulnerable. And so, you know, someone can give us a nice gift. We're like, oh, that's really great. But real receiving is like nourishment that a plant gets from water and, and the soil, and it feeds the entire plant. So real nourishment is be from someone real receiving is allowing them to take care of you allowing yourself to fall apart and be vulnerable and them hold your heart 
take care of you from that place or um, let you feel seen and known and understood and that everything about you makes complete sense and receiving unconditional love. And so none of the above I received as a child. Right. And it, to me, it can look like a lot of different things. When I first started really working on receiving in my life, um, well, let me say this. Before, a great point to get to is being really frustrated that you aren't getting your needs met. So it's actually a beautiful place to be because for me and so many traumatized people, they don't... Are you talking in the context of relationships or just in life in general? Life in general, but it could be specifically, sure, relationships. But if in childhood your needs were not met, it's a beautiful thing that children fascinate me, but children can do to shut down that need so that they can keep going and developing. So it's brilliant, really, a Just survival pattern. Yeah, and say the world isn't safe. That's the subconscious. Um, pe- me versus the world. Right, and people uh, can't be relied upon to help me. Therefore, I can't be vulnerable and exposed in the world, right? How could you possibly be vulnerable and exposed in the world if there's not someone there to hold that space? Mm. So that all gets shut down, which means then you go in the world and you no longer have needs. It, 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 it was foreign to me, the idea of, what would it mean for someone to take care of me? I don't even know. I couldn't even fathom what that meant. But then getting to the point where it's like, shit, I have needs. I want my needs met. <laughs> it's a beautiful place to be in the healing process. So when people are there, I am so excited for them in their frustration because it means they've reached a point where they now have needs again. And something has kind of woken up inside of them. That's right. And it only can happen in safety. Mm. So once we're safe enough, then that part of us is allowed to start speaking again in a non-scientific way. When you say safe, what are you like feeling safe? What Mm. does feeling safe look like? So um, if you are in, let's say that... Does that make sense? Yes, it does. (laughs) So I'll give in the context of relationship, Right. right? So you're in a relationship with someone who isn't abusive. Your subconscious can see that they have an ability to give to you, right? Maybe they're not giving to you in the way you need, but they're able, they're safe. Safer than your childhood caregivers were, if that makes sense. And so then what happens is that unconscious part of yourself, ourselves, says, oh, this person is able to give that to me, which I never got. But if if someone is within survival, so when someone isn't safe and you're in a relationship with them, anyone's in a relationship with them, Um, And not safe doesn't have to be like severely abusive. It could be that they don't allow you to have your own feelings. They take your feelings away, right? But when we're not in a safe environment where our feelings can be held, we go into survival. So it's self-protection. And so I like to think about it like when we're in self-protection, we have armor on. Imagine in like an armored suit where we can't even feel our own needs. We can't feel our skin because we're covered in armor to protect ourselves. So when we're in safety in any way, sometimes safety is literally a kid goes to college and they're no longer in that dysfunctional home right. and now they're safe. Yeah. So it might even be literal proximity. And then parts of the armor come off and then it's like, man, this arm has needed something or this heart has needed something. So that's a really great place to be when we start to get frustrated about, I want people around. But then what happens is there's two parts of us. One part that's like, I really want all this. And then the other parts that's like, I'm terrified to get all this. And then sabotages, which is a 
beautiful thing. It's not to harm us. To sabotage is actually to protect us. It's um, a complete paradigm shift. Because so much like judgment is around the word like self-sabotage. Why I, am I doing this to myself? I hate myself for self-destructing, for self-sabotaging. Yeah, if I could say anything to people, and then I constantly say I'm such a broken record, but everyone is working perfectly, absolutely perfectly to a perceived threat. There's nothing mm. wrong with anyone. They are absolute, beautiful, survival beings. And so anything that we're doing is never to hurt ourselves. It's to protect ourselves from something that in the past was really, really dangerous. And then we wear that lens in the world and look out for, is, could that person hurt me like that person hurt me? Or if I let them in, they're going to do the same thing, all subconsciously. And then we, quote unquote, self-sabotage. But really what we're doing is protecting ourselves from being absolutely devastated in, in dying from yeah. pain. So it's a beautiful thing. It really is. And all we have to do, I mean, it's complicated, but <laughs> is to see that there is no threat. Mm. There is no threat. We're safe now. And then the sabotaging stops. So the whole key is to learn how to be safe or learn how to retrain ourselves to be safe. Uh, well, literal safeness, of course, is very important. Very important, yes. And then it's how do I tolerate the discomfort mm. of safety? How do I tolerate the discomfort of receiving? Because the dif- discomfort is what triggers shit. That's right. Yeah. The discomfort is um, my nervous system doesn't know how to tolerate safety. This right. is strange. This is foreign. What is this? This must be dangerous because it's not what I know. Yeah. What I know is this old tattered security blanket that I've been using that's not, it's in bad shape. It's the only thing that's like an old survival pattern, mm-hmm. right, from childhood. And, but it's the only thing that brings me comfort. Right. It's the only thing that makes me feel safe. And so what I always say to people, just like I would if I had a child, I wouldn't just snatch the blanket away and say, you're never having that survival pattern again. No, that survival pattern saved your life. Yeah. I thank God for it. And we're not going to just take it away all at once because the nervous system would say, yeah. no way, I'm here to protect him or her. We say, hey, today for a half hour, could we do this thing and tolerate the discomfort and then right. you can go have and be that. alone yeah. and have that? I used to, um, one of the biggest things in my marriage when I was like, holy shit, I think I have needs. Wait a minute, do I have needs? I think I have needs. I'm a, I'm a person too. Was like, wait, but what are they? Mm. I really didn't know. I just knew I'm not, I knew what my complaints were. People are really good at complaints. I'm like that with boundaries. Mm. I don't know what my boundaries are. Yeah. You got to have boundaries. I don't know what the fuck my boundaries are. Like, what does that even mean? (laughs) What does that mean? Yes. I know what my complaints are 100%. um, But yeah, I don't know if I've ever taken the time to say, this is what a necessity is or what I actually need. That's right. Because, but it would make sense that. We wouldn't know if we didn't have boundaries in childhood or needs in childhood. Right. I was just saying earlier, and I think it's so true, like if we were to learn a new language, if I was going to go learn Mandarin, I wouldn't learn it best by reading it in a book or taking a class once a week. The best way you can learn a new language is by immersion. Mm. And healing, the healing process is the exact same way. It requires immersion, unfortunately. But fortunately, that's what speeds it up. And so it's daily baby steps, but are, which are huge steps towards the uncomfortable. And at first, I mean, this is so true. I'm sure you felt this around boundaries. It feels entirely counterintuitive. Mm. 
So it feels like, oh, holy shit, when I first just started using having boundaries or needs, I was like, this doesn't feel good. I thought this was supposed to feel good. And it doesn't feel good because it's an entire new experience in our bodies. So one example, this is a really funny one. So my husband was like, well, we've been going to couples therapy since we met, which I highly advocate (laughs) for for couples. Um, But I was like, well, I don't know. Maybe you could get me my coffee in the morning. (laughs) Like that's the best I could come up with because I didn't know what needs were. And I probably saw on Seinfeld or something or like, I don't know, a TV show. Like that's what people probably do when they love each other. So uh, he would do it, right? And then I was like, oh, this feels horrible. Not only does it feel horrible, I find you all pathetic. Get away from me. I, I, get, I don't want this. I would pick a fight. And that's what the nervous system does because it can't tolerate this good feeling. So we expect with healing, oh, right away, the good feeling is going to feel good. No, 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 no. That's poorly mistaken. It's the opposite. It won't feel good at first. And it's tolerating the discomfort and saying to myself, oh, darling, of course it doesn't feel good. Yeah. Because nobody has ever put you first. Why didn't, in your experience, that feel good? Because... It was just vulnerable to be relying on somebody else? Because I had never been put first in my life. Mm. No one had ever taken their time for me. And to tolerate that was so... It was so uncomfortable to experience and, and my nervous system couldn't tolerate it. Yeah. But my job wasn't to beat myself up and say, oh, you're self-sabotaging, so you picked a fight. No, it was to say, of course, yeah. my darling. I say this to everyone I work with. I say it to myself. Of course, of course, it makes complete sense. And can you breathe through it and ground yourself yeah. and just see if you can be present. And, and then it gets better and better and better until it's like, I love this. I love receiving. <laughs> I think it's just, it's what a great example of really practically practicing self-compassion. Yeah. When you do something that might sabotage a relationship right. or a job or something, how often we do that and we immediately turn to criticizing ourselves and hating ourselves for making that stupid choice or making that decision. But then you look from this perspective and you're like, wow, I was just trying to keep myself safe from experiencing, whether consciously or subconsciously, the same type of pain I experienced at some point in time in my life. I honor that. Like, I love myself enough to keep myself safe. But now I understand that there's a higher way of living. I don't have to continue to repeat these patterns of self-destruction or self-sabotaging that I can begin the process of healing Right. And now I can actually create a new level of safety in my life. That's right. And it's integrating the two parts of ourselves. Hmm. The part that has the truest desires, which is to co-regulate, to depend on each other, to flourish together. I mean, a forest, I always talk about nature. I'm so amazed by it. But a forest, the roots are interconnected in a forest. They actually communicate to each other. When one tree is sick, all the other trees' roots send nourishment to that tree. I mean, everything is created to flourish together. So we're meant to rely on each other. Um, And then we also are meant to be very strong and and protect ourselves. But when we don't have healthy childhoods, the balance gets out of whack. Mm. And just the protective self comes out because it needs to to save our lives. And the truest self that is meant to connect goes away. Or goes into hibernation. I like to think about it that way, right. like hibernation, because it's never gone. 
And then it's slowly integrating the two. So that part of me, like the story of my receiving and my work around that was to tolerate that discomfort more and more so that I could show the protective part of myself because the work really is always show, don't tell. The work that I do and the work I believe you must do to heal. And so it's showing the protective part because it's no idiot. It's not going to just believe your words like, no, you're safe now. You live in Los Angeles and you're thriving. No, it doesn't believe you. People aren't safe to it. But you show it slowly. Oh, see, I received and that person didn't go away. Mm. And maybe I am safe to be a little more vulnerable. And then the two parts of you can integrate. And you can still have a protective part of yourself. And that's where boundaries come in. And get your needs met and have both. Which is what was our birthright. All of our birthrights. So your needs not getting met as a child, you would classify that as trauma? A hundred percent. Well, I think about it this way. Uh... A child not getting food would kill them. Yeah, and that's abuse. Mm -hmm. So a child, emotional needs Mm -hmm. are just as important as food. Mm -hmm. And so that is tremendous abuse. Well, it's neglect. I mean, in the United States, that's considered abuse, you know. But but it's tremendous trauma. And uh, I always, I wish, if I had one wish... First of all, obviously to heal the world, but also (laughs) I wish we could see trauma Mm. because if we could visually see it, Mm -hmm. like we can see the results of cancer or um, other horrible diseases, it would be treated the same as cancer and and every other horrible disease and taken seriously. But because we can't see it, it's not taken as serious. I often think like what happens if we lived in this life with like our deepest, darkest secrets on our forehead for the world to see. Yeah. And so that whenever there's a moment where you cut me off or you say something that upsets me or, you know, the million other things that happen in everyday life where you're just a really bad person or you encounter somebody that's just having a horrific day and then you can look and see that secret that they're carrying and you're like, oh, shit, that happened to them? Yeah. And now suddenly you wouldn't carry so much offense and anger because you knew that that person would probably never do what they've just done because of the trauma that they're carrying or that secret that they're carrying, right? Hurt people, hurt people kind of idea. Yeah, and, it, and it's not about you or me. Right. The person that's saying, like, F you in traffic. Mm. It's really because they're hurting. Absolutely. I like to think about it like um, when I'm out in the world, I see people at different ages, so you can even see on their faces, you know, when someone's not in their adult self. Yeah. And I can tell, like, oh, he seems like he's about eight right now having a temper tantrum. Or maybe four. <laughs> right? Or you know what? She's acting a little like her teenage self. Yeah. Or I'm... By the way, mm. I use this tool all the time for myself when I'm triggered. How old do I feel right now? Yeah. Whatever answer comes first is your subconscious telling wow. you. And so if the answer is not your current age, well, then it's time to do a grounding tool. Yeah. Because it That's means... That's so great. You're in the past. And I... I get I geek out over trauma work as you can tell. <laughs> people saw my face. So I'm like, about you, and another thing about trauma work. No, I seriously geek out about it. But <laughs> I think it is real life time travel, mm. and and it is my biggest evidence, the indicator and evidence that I have found in my work um, that I do with people and myself that time is not linear, because mm. I see people constantly back in time. Yeah. And they are not here in 2019. They are in 1975 or 1982, and they are there, and it is real. And anyone who says 
um, that traumatic memories aren't real or that suppressed memories aren't real or in traumatic memories for everyone listening. Um, they're not like memories of um, regular everyday memories. Like, yep, I woke up and then I went to the park and then I picked up my dry cleaning and I saw this person. Traumatic memories, um, because the prefrontal cortex is not working when we're traumatized, will come to you in body sensations. Ah. So doors might open and your body might tense up. That's a that's it's like a PTSD. memory. Yes. Yeah. So that's how trauma memories are stored. Mm. They're flashes. You might see a flash of wallpaper from the room that you were abused in. You might hear a sound, smell a smell. That's how traumatic memories are stored. But so when people go back there, it's not just like remembering it. You're in your body. Yeah. You have time travel to another dimension. I don't know why That's I brought why that you up. You have to get back into your body to heal. You got to. Your yeah. head can't heal it. That's the thing. And and you know, of course, it's also it's, where like the big part of Christianity is missing it. Yes. When it comes to actual healing. Oh my god, <laughs> if I could say so I mean, there's so much to say, but yeah, and also it makes sense that people want to avoid doing this work mm-hmm. because why would you again counterintuitive mm. why would you want to go back to the scene and of the crime pain. where you went to a place that was so painful you mm. thought you will die you would yeah. die yeah. and someone's telling me i got to go back there uh no thank you <laughs> you have to get you know? close to your pain again yeah to but it's slowly yeah. going there not all at once it's yeah. gentle steps because you're retraining it. yourself to feel safe one step at That's a time right. going back to you needing your needs and um and that whole situation so what I'm hearing is that Sarah was a very individualistic, strong woman that didn't need anybody, right? And then you got to this place of feeling safe enough where you begin to realize that you needed, you had needs and you need your needs to be met, but it was very uncomfortable. Like I would kind of look at that and say, while you were like working out your trauma that happened as a childhood that reinforced this belief that you didn't need anything, you were also retraining yourself how to show yourself that you're worthy of love. Oh, for It's a sure. self-love thing, right? And so I just want you to bridge the gap between the self-love issues that you're having in your life, the self-acceptance issues that you're having in your life that you're really going hard at. Are you talking how, to me right now or the people listening? No, for you though, oh. for the people that are listening, like anybody who might be dealing with self-love or right. not being able to love themselves or practice self-compassion or right. self-acceptance. All of that is intrinsically linked to trauma oh, that you of have experienced. So just well, drawing that gap. Of course I know that. Right. So the real, I mean, we're all born knowing we love ourselves mm-hmm. and we have needs. A, a child attaches to the mother's breast. That is a need. It's innate to do it. The child's not like, oh, I don't know. Should I? Should I not? Right. Which is an indicator of their self-love. Mm-hmm. So we're born that way. And when trauma happens, the result of that when the mother turns away from the child, right, and the mother's not available emotionally or doesn't mirror the child's face, the messaging, not only is it I have to take care of my needs, it's the same, you could interchange that with I'm not worthy of love. Mm. It's the same exact thing of I, I don't have, I can't have needs because I'm not worthy of love. So yeah, they're totally interchangeable. Same exact, same exact thing. Same wavelength. Yeah, yeah. for sure. For somebody that's listening, obviously, you don't have to go very far on social media to hear, depending on the circles that you follow, um, trauma work, trauma work, heal your emotional trauma. It's everywhere. It's a new yeah. buzzword. It's kind of like what everybody is talking about as of late. 
for somebody still that doesn't necessarily know like what the frick does it mean to yeah. heal my trauma can you just give like kind of a macro perspective on trauma trauma work um and kind of like if you were going to give a basic intro class to trauma work kind of the spark notes of that just so somebody can actually conceptually understand it yeah well i think it's wonderful that people are talking about mm-hmm. trauma um but first and foremost people think trauma has to be that they were you were molested as a child right. or neglected and it doesn't we've all been traumatized mm-hmm. and um basically it's i've been hurt and there was no one to help carry that for me and it hasn't been healed yeah. that's a good way of thinking about yeah. trauma and it's crazy to think a lot of my trauma happened around success yeah like right? i remember winning a race on the playground when I was like seven or eight years old Yeah, and thinking and turning around and thinking everybody's going to be there and everybody left because they were mad because the kid that I beat was who everybody was rooting for and they all got mad and they left and I remember I remember this being a big moment for me I always would think like wow you see when you succeed you're left all alone in life Wow. And so I was taught to believe there's a traumatic moment where I was taught to believe that when you are most successful is when you're going to live alone. I took some time. Yeah. So I would sabotage success in my life because I didn't want to actually be alone. And so doesn't the word now sabotage, it makes total sense. (laughs) It's protecting yourself. It's a beautiful protective mechanism. Which is a really shitty way of protecting yourself in this case. (laughs) Right. But but it was the best that your sweet, sweet little self could do. Yeah. So going back to what you're saying, everybody's experienced trauma. It doesn't yeah. necessarily mean you were sexually abused, molested, no. so on and so forth. So when we're traumatized, the only parts in terms of the triune brain, the three parts of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, which is our rational brain, which is where we have language, stops working. Um, literally goes offline. Imagine it being blank. Mm. And the only two parts of our brain that work are the limbic system and the reptilian brain. You can think we can think about those two parts as um, one is the uh, fire detector and one is the smoke filling up the room. It's time to get out of here. So our survival selves. So if trauma happens non-verbally, meaning our brains, where we have language, is literally not working, well, we certainly can't heal it by using words. Telling our story is amazing and it's so important, but that alone won't heal it. We have to go back to a felt sense and we heal it non-verbally through experiencing safety in our bodies. A lot of times we run the risk too of just using our words, just reinforcing it. Oh, for sure. Do you mean like becoming a victim? Becoming a victim or just trying to tell your story, but every time you tell your story without actually getting deeper into your body and feeling your way through it, you're just kind of reinforcing what happened and compounding it or making it more concrete in your heart. That's exactly right. And people stay stuck in their stories. And then you become a victim. Uh Uh-huh. And it becomes their identity. Mm. And it's who am I without this story? Yeah. And that uh, happens to a lot of people. It certainly happened to me. I mean, Mm. I think it happens to most people on their journey. Yeah. Um, So telling your story is so vital. You have to. Especially the shameful parts. Yeah. Those are the most important parts to tell because but there's a shame big difference. feeds on silence, right? But, silence and secrecy, yeah. Yeah, but there's a big difference between the two. Your story owning you and you owning your story, I yeah, guess. Yeah, exactly. Oh, or knowing that the story was never you. Mm, wow. I think that's so important for everyone to know. The story was never you. It's not who you are. Yeah. It's not who you were brought to this earth to be. But when you transform that story, you will heal the world 
in yourself. Yeah. And that's that's the alchemy that happens. It's the beauty in it. Um, but in terms of trauma, that's how it has to be healed in the body. And it requires, number one, feeling safe. Uh, it cannot be healed alone because trauma happens in community, right? Someone traumatized you, yeah. which we, means we need help to heal. We don't do it alone. So I can't isolate myself anymore. Can't, I, nobody can. Man, <laughs> so just I'm, showing up I'm, to a community I'm, is brave oh, and yeah. it's the first step. Absolutely. Really. And then uh, allowing someone to help you. Yeah. So, I mean, that's an act of receiving. That's terrifying for a lot of us. But finding a coach, a therapist, uh, someone who understands the journey, has done it themselves. Mm. That's so important. Yeah, because our subconscious can feel if someone just learned something in a book yeah. or if that person's also experienced it. Yeah. And the survivor's subconscious is on high alert Very. for frauds. So it will know. So finding someone who lives it to give it, as Martha Beck says that, um, and, and you will know. Like oh, I had yeah. a very, I found a guy off of Twitter. This, that's yeah. how I found the church in Canada that I moved Ooh. to off of Twitter. But there was such a resonance there, right? right? There was such a, I just resonated with every word. I just deep, like I could have had a million other people I could have went to way closer proximity, way more logical, yeah. but there was just such a resonance there. And I knew that's, that's who was supposed to teach me. Right. Yeah. And that part of you knew he understands mm -hmm. this on a real level more than just reading it in a book. Oh, yeah. He, he lived it. his solution. Exactly. Yeah. So we know that. We're such intelligent mm -hmm. beings in that way. Um, and so finding that person to help you. Um, I'm a big believer in groups, too. Not groups alone, but doing mm -hmm. individual work and then also group work. Because, it's another level of vulnerability. Yeah. And seeing, oh... You also felt mm. like I was molested as mm. a kid. So I always felt like I'm a dirty, horrible monster. Yeah. And then seeing, oh, you felt like that too. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing to connect in that way. So doing that and understanding ourselves, having empathy for ourselves, and allowing the feelings that we push down slowly through titration, um, which is... Uh, um, Allowing your nervous system to allow for a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more under the supervision of somebody who understands how to do that properly mm. for you. Because the other thing is if you push through things or you're like, let me just go back to this place and reliving an event, they've proven through case studies that reliving an event um, doesn't actually help. Um, reliving the feeling does. But... Um, Anyway, somebody who understands how to take that gently with you is how you do it. Because if you try to do go dive too deeply too fast, it's like a rubber band and it will break. I but, did that. Yeah, <laughs> right? I did too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and instead, it's, I like to think about this work because it is expand, contract, expand, mm. contract. Always. There will be contractions part of whenever there's expansion. So it's like a rubber band. Let me... Stretch it a little more, and then it comes back, and then stretch a little more, and then comes back. And that's the nervous system saying, wait, can I trust this? Yeah. I don't know. And the beautiful, beautiful thing that happens is when one day you wake up, and you have an experience of, wow, I just kept a boundary, and that person respected it, and I wasn't didn't feel terrified, and it felt really good to yeah. have that boundary. Or I just asked for my need to be met, and it was... I received it and it felt so good. And the, those results are what help catapult people forward. Yeah. 
I remember when I started, when I conceptually understood trauma work, mm. when I conceptually understood it, whenever my mentor, my coach, God bless his soul, <laughs> I needed somebody with just remarkable patience. Uh-huh. And I we all do. I found him. Um, but whenever I could conceptually understand it, I started approaching life differently, where mm. I started seeing all of the experiences that triggered me and would send me off the deep end and make me have a horrific day, suddenly I welcomed them with open arms because I saw all of that shit as the opportunities for growth. So when I would get triggered in what I would allow me to like basically ruin my entire day right. and go off the deep end and start visiting bars at nine in the morning, right. um, I would get triggered, then I would suddenly over time become aware that, oh wait, this right now and how I choose to respond to this and how I choose to tell myself that I'm safe and ground myself and work through the feelings and all that beautiful stuff. It was my opportunity to change my life. Yeah. And so I no longer saw these bad things that would happen to me as bad things, but opportunities for growth. So true. And if you can change your perspective with that, I was just like, oh, this is just like a fun little game we're playing now. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the first half of life, we go and hide our power everywhere. It's like a treasure hunt. Yeah. We go and hide our power everywhere. Second half of life, we go and start looking for the eggs. I love that. And reclaiming our power. And we reclaim our power, unfortunately, but fortunately, through the moments that shit hits the fan or moments that are really challenging and tough that yeah. require vulnerability. And then we can actually reclaim that power. Yeah, for, I love that analogy yeah. of the treasure hunt because mm. it really is yeah. a treasure hunt. And you hunt. can often know how much power is available for you to claim by how, how charged you are in that situation. Like I can go back to moments where I'm like, oh yeah, that bothered me. But mm. but then I can go back to moments and be like, <gasps> like I hear that person's name and then suddenly it's like, whoa, I can feel just that dr- just a dread wash over me. And suddenly I know, oh, there's a lot of power for me to reclaim in that moment. Let's go there. Yeah. When I feel good and when I feel safe enough, let's go there. Yeah. I like to say too, I love that, what you just said. I like to, I use the uh, phrase, does my reaction match the circumstance? Ah. So most times it doesn't when we're triggered. <laughs> yeah. So that's just an indicator to gently say, oh, then that means there's, there's work to mm. be done in that area. Um, when you're telling your story, two things I just want to say to people when you said going to bars at 9 a.m., what a beautiful coping strategy. I just like to approach this work that way because it's a beautiful, beautiful way to cope. That's why you're with... my good friend. Uh, <laughs> it is. Oh, it's such a beautiful thing. I'm so in awe of people yeah. and what they find to cope, whether it's sex or drugs. or um, I turn to so many things, sex in my early 20s, blacking out drinking um just totally not feeling dissociating for weeks years really they're beautiful ways and we our society shames these things Mm -hmm. and they're not to be shamed they're great things to survive and then we have to learn to un to unlearn that there's a higher way of living yeah yeah and um what was the other thing you said and i was like yes caleb (laughs) It's what funny though thinking about the bar. Like yeah. I would go there because you said right. It's in relationships that we're wounded, but it's in relationships that we heal. Yes. But I would go to the bar just to sit with the other guys yeah. that were drinking at nine a.m. Because what I really was looking for was communicate or relationship yeah. and community, and I found a community where there was no vulnerability. Yeah. Which really is in community, but it gave me the facade or the the you know 
bits and pieces of what I was looking for. Yeah. Because it was it was safe. It was totally safe for me. Yeah. And that's we're incredible at surviving on crumbs, you know. Mm-hmm. We're like oh, MacGyvers. Yeah. <laughs> I used to watch so that true. show. Loved we it. are like MacGyvers. Mm-hmm our own MacGyvers where we're like, oh, I can pull this out and do this all to survive. It's incredible. I'm just always in awe. Yeah. So what would you say to somebody that is listening to this and they find themselves living life, things are great, um, something happens, they get profusely mad, angry, bitter, and they're overwhelmed with emotions they call their friend afterwards. They spew on the phone to their friend. And then it takes them two mo- two weeks to get over this. And then they get back to being okay. But then this shit is a repetitive cycle. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy that they are constantly living in. How do, you, how do you choose differently to change your life so that that's yeah. not your prophecy? That's yeah. not the life that you have to live. Yeah. Well, first I'll say it makes perfect sense. Why that would happen to that person. (laughs) I know. It makes perfect sense. And I just have so much empathy. And what I always see it as is it's like a person being in a raft in the middle of the ocean all alone in a storm. And Mm -hmm. you don't know when the big waves are going to come, 25-foot waves. And you have no control over your life. And it's terrifying. And that's what it's what that process that you just said, that's what that's like. Yeah. And the work is, how do I sink down deep into the depths of the ocean where there is no current Mm. and where I'm safe? I'm always safe. Mm. I mean, that was really the message Jesus was trying to give. And Muhammad and Gandhi and Buddha, it's the same thing. How do I sink down? And I'm always safe. So that's the healing work. But first I would say, um, number one, when we're triggered, it's so important. The impulse will be to to act out. Because the feelings are, feel too big to tolerate. And so in the past, the best thing that we could do is act out, to lash out, to process, the, to get the feelings out in any way. Um, lash out at ourselves or someone else. So I would say first, when you're triggered in a really big way, the one tiny simple exercise, actually two I'll give, that, you can, mm-hmm. that anyone can do, is first controlled breathing. So not just breathing in and out, because we can do that totally involuntary, but taking a breath in, and on the out breath, with your lips pursed like you're gonna do a whistle, slowly allowing the breath to come out, controlled, and do another breath and breath in and breath out even slower. The last breath in and out, as slow as you can possibly make it. And what happens is that gets you out of your head and into your body, regulates the vagus nerve. Uh, another great grounding tool is the sound vu coming from Peter Levine's somatic experiencing. Mm. But tribes have been doing it for thousands of yeah. years. Chanting, ch- humming, the sound om. The vibration releases the vagus nerve, which is tightens, goes from the reptilian brain into our gut. And that's what tightens when we're traumatized or when we're unsafe. Most traumatized when people When we're have, triggered. Yeah, when All we're right. triggered and when we're traumatized. When we're triggered, it's just like being re-traumatized. Yes. So, um, and most people, just a side note, have a lot of gut issues who've been traumatized. Mm -hmm. That's because the vagus nerve has been so tightened and all of your organs have been tightened. It makes total sense. So you can heal all of that gut stuff, guys. (laughs) Um, But use that, this sound vu. So deep breath in, exhaling the sound vu. Do that three times, allowing it to vibrate into your gut. Now, what those two things alone, and there's many, many more grounding tools, but those are two really solid ones. 
Um, what happens is that gets you out of the past and back into the present moment. So it's like going back and grabbing yourself and saying, oh, wait, 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 let me get me back in 2019. Okay, I'm in the room. I might still be agitated, but now I'm at least in the room. And now from this place, what can I do to take care of myself? Do I feel my current age yet? If you don't, then it's time to go for a walk, be around people. Just being around people, the co-regulation will help get you more and more in your body. And then once you say, I do feel like my age, then it's what was the, what triggered me? Then you ask yourself, what what triggered me? Because now the prefrontal cortex is working. Mm. The part of the brain where understanding logic logic and language is. So you can ask yourself, what about that triggered me? Oh, that's so interesting. Then ask yourself, when is the youngest age I remember feeling this way? Get curious. And then if it's, if you have a safe person in your life, communicating that to them. Mm -hmm. And then getting someone to help you. Again, I can't, I just can't say it enough. It's the only way. It's the only way. I can't Mm -hmm. do it alone. Um, So that in and of itself, those things I just said, are showing, don't not telling your nervous system that you are safe. safe. You are safe to process your feelings, have your feelings. And that's that in and that alone is um, a huge, huge part of healing. And that's how we sink deep into the ocean instead of being in that in those waves where we're helpless. And the world is a really scary place. I certainly spent a lot of time living that way. Yeah. In reaction to mm. everything happening to me. To to bring this to an end um what is the correlation between healing your trauma and finding your purpose oh huge to me Mm. um i'm a really spiritual person uh and i believe that we were all i don't know if we decided to come down i don't know how many times we've been down here my psychic friend calls these things earth suits that Mm. we're in which i love Um, But I believe we come down and there's things that we're going to go through. We're all going to go through trauma and we're given a toolbox to get through it and of gifts that Mm. that are particularly ours, uniquely ours, and they help us through it. And I believe that when you heal your traumas, whatever they are, that the transforming of them, the renewal of yourself will give you your purpose. And that coal and that dirty, horrible stuff that you went through will be alchemized into gold. Mm. And so um, whatever it is, it's always the, um, in the transforming of that, of that horrible traumatic experience, your hell and back. The gift is uh, not only do you survive it and start to flourish, but then you too can say to other people, I know where you've been. Yeah. I was there on that darkest day where I couldn't wake up another day feeling the same way. Mm. And I did and I survived it and there's nothing special about me and that means you can too. So I believe it's not only um, uniquely but divinely connected. Yeah. I mean, Oprah wouldn't be Oprah if she didn't have her traumatic childhood. Um, you know, every single person, the list goes that, on, the list goes on mm. and on and on and on. Mm. And um, it is our, I would not change any of the horrific things that happened to mm. me because they allowed for me to have the gifts that I have now yeah. and my purpose now. I can really relate to that. 
I know for a long time I was kind of I've always been like driven by like purpose. Yeah. Ever since I was five, six, seven years old, I remember I'm asking my mom, like, Mom, how can I change the world? Uh, and like that was amazing. the first question, like not what's for lunch, like how can I change the world? Wow. And as I got older, you know, I thought I'd find my purpose through football because what I was chasing was a feeling, yeah. you know, it's like we want a purpose because we want to feel significant. Mm. And well, that was me anyways. And I know for me that I could never, despite how frustrated I was and wandering around my little space on this earth of like being what's my purpose what am i supposed to do what's next i couldn't actually see what was next because what was next unknowing to me at the time was un would would have felt unsafe oh yeah right and so like my how genius of a person we it are is. like how smart our central nervous yes. system our brains are it was actually trying to protect me from stepping into what was next because what was next required a level of new vulnerability that I wasn't actually ready for because I had yet to heal trauma because the last time I accessed the vulnerability that was needed to step into this new place in my life, I was deeply wounded. Right. And so now once I started to go back into my pain, that's why I say the answer is in the pain. You want to find your purpose? Okay, the answer is in the pain. Yeah. Let's go back into heal your pain first and foremost. And then when you can go and do heal your pain, you retrain your sensory nervous system, you feel safe once again, and then suddenly that thing that you're looking for manifests in your life because now you are actually transformed and I guess I could use the word mature enough, feeling safe enough to step into that new place. So I'm always interested in terms of how how healing our trauma does directly correlate into finding our purpose and really experience fulfillment in life. Yeah, I, yeah. I think, I believe that this is holy work, you know? I mean, oh, yeah. it is It is the I most... I think it's what Jesus ho- taught, though. It's Even exactly right. The word salvation, yeah. the Greek word for salvation is not going to heaven when you die. It's sozo, which actually means an inner transformation. Yeah. Sozo, the actual when it's defined, when it's... Uh, uh, I didn't know that. That's amazing. So the Greek word for salvation, I came to give life. You know, I came from through salvation. It's not a straight corner prayer that you say to get to heaven one day. It's actually a physical transformation of your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions of your soul. That's going to, once that's changed and transformed, it's going to allow you to bring heaven here on earth. Yeah, that's right. Right. And that's what the whole point of Jesus' message was. Nothing to do to get to heaven. It's all about bringing heaven Becoming heaven. Yes, and then that's right. Giving heaven here on earth. Yeah, becoming. It's it's just like this little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine. Absolutely. That song is so. I wish you know. I really get it now, man. Yeah. What a good song. <laughs> but it's exactly what you yeah. said. And it's so funny because I know there's so many people who are like, "Oh, Sarah, you aren't a Christian. You oh, aren't yeah. religious. You don't." Well, I'm not religious actually. Yeah. They're right on that. No, I'm not. But you don't have a relationship with God. Yeah. Well, what? what i'm doing and what anyone does who heals i mean that's that's as holy as it gets absolutely thank you all for listening to another episode of the naked soul podcast i hope you all were blessed as much as i was and if you were i would be thrilled if you would take the time to rate this podcast and even leave a review It would mean so much to me. Also, if you would like to learn more about the Naked Soul process or learn more about who I am and what I can help you with, please visit www.calebcampbell.me or you can follow me on Instagram at Caleb underscore Campbell. 
As always, I love you all and I'm rooting for you. And if there's anything I can ever do to help, please don't hesitate to ask.